tales that to me were so dear long long ago long long ago sang me the songs i delighted to hear long long ago long ago now you have come all my grief is removed just let me forget so long you have rode let me believe that you love as you love long long ago long ago bed, spring's heart is lead, feel like old man, and I wish I were dead, what did I do, to be so black and blue, to be so black and blue, no George for me, no company, even that mountain run from my house. What did I do to be so black, so blue, to be so black, so blue? Now I'm white, deep down inside, but that don't help my case. Just because I can't hide what's on my face. Why was I born? Life's just a thorn, my poor heart is torn. What did I do to be so black and blue? To be so black.
thank you very much. You are listening to WETF, South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station. My name is John Clark, and uh, the program is called The Jazz Focus, and uh, this is going to be a little bit different, I think, today. We're going to be playing some music of a great western swing band, Milton Brown and his Brownies, although an immediate caveat, we actually started out with two tracks uh, from a band that... um, kind of grew out of that Milton Brown group after Milton Brown's early death. But we'll talk about that later, because those two tracks that we heard are very jazzy, and we're happy to have them. And we're going to end up the show with two tracks from the same session, both all of which feature a really interesting trumpet player named Harry Palmer. Just before we get into that, a little brief discussion of the term Western Swing. Uh, That's probably familiar to most people who follow music of the 1930s and 40s and 50s and so forth. Um, The most recognizable name in the field of Western Swing was Bob Wills. Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys had a career that stretched from the mid-30s up until Wills died in, I think, about the early 70s. And he was really the most popular, successful, notorious, whatever, performer in that style. But he was not the first. Uh, The first was probably Milton Brown, a singer who was from Stephenville, Texas. Now, when we say Western swing, we actually are uh, using a term that the musicians in the 1930s had never heard before and wouldn't have recognized if they had. They considered themselves jazz musicians. The people we're going to be hearing today on these recordings really thought of themselves primarily as jazz musicians, and they, uh, you know, in reminiscences and, and autobiographical material later on, they talked about how horrified they were when people called them country musicians, or hillbilly as the term was back then. Uh, sometimes the records came out uh, as uh, being by folk groups or string groups or, you know, down-home groups or something like that, or very often by hillbilly groups. The term... The people we're going to be hearing today on these recordings were uh, musicians who had grown up listening to, uh, this sucks, hold on. Most of them had grown up in Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere in 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 that part of the region, and they had begun listening to music on the radio, uh, hearing local bands or or sometimes traveling bands. They may have heard African-American groups. Bob Wills famously talked about how he had ridden a horse uh, an enormous distance when he was a boy to hear Bessie Smith perform, and he later on actually recorded some Bessie Smith songs in tribute to her. Uh, The group that we started out our recording with, or our show with, rather, was led by a man named O.C. Stockard. Now, O.C. Stockard had played for Milton Brown in his earliest groups. He'd played banjo. He played bass for a while. He went back to banjo. Uh, After Milton Brown died in 1936, we'll be talking about his history in a moment, uh, the band went through several iterations. They kept going for a year or two or something like that, and O.C. Stockard ended up taking it over in the summer of 1937, and he made a recording session in September, September 11th, 1937, in Dallas, Texas. And this was a marathon recording session, which was not unusual for these groups. They toured and played constantly. They played familiar songs that were in their uh, book and their repertoire for years on end, so they had no trouble going in and knocking out performance after performance uh, at a a very high quality for the style of music. And uh, of these 14 tunes, we heard uh, Long, Long Ago and Black and Blue. Now, Long, Long Ago was a tune, sort of a Victorian parlor ballad, I guess you'd have to call it, by Thomas Haynes Bailey. I like that song because it started out with a nice little jazz quote. It was an introduction that showed these musicians had been listening to some jazz recordings from about 10 years before. Uh, The introduction was taken (laughs) directly from a Venudian Lang recording called Doing Things from about 10 years before this O.C. Stockard session, and we're going to hear another example of that a little bit later. Uh, Both tunes also feature the talents of a trumpet player named Harry Palmer. Harry Palmer was actually not a professional musician in the sense that that's how he made his only living. He was a shopkeeper. I think he owned a general store, and he had been engaged to do this recording session kind of last minute. I guess he had played with the band occasionally, but um, the guitar player or the steel guitar player uh, for the group had had to leave suddenly because he got another job, and um, O.C. Stockard wanted another solo voice, so in came Harry Palmer, and this is his only recording these uh, 14 sides, and he shows himself to be quite a good uh, jazz trumpet player by any standards from that period. He obviously liked Louis Armstrong a lot. He didn't play a lot of high notes, but he had a very broad, powerful middle register, a very vocalized tone, and a very bluesy uh, approach to the music. So he was on Long Ago, Long, Long Ago, which was sung by O.C. Stockard, and then 
Harry Palmer himself sang the next tune, which was Black and Blue by Andy Razaf and Fats Waller. Uh, and this was an earlier tune to some degree as well, but still a popular jazz standard that was on lots of records and uh, you know radio shows and things like that. These musicians learned a lot of their jazz in that way, and many of them in later reminiscences said that they you know learned a lot of tunes and arranged a lot of tunes from the uh, radio broadcasts. Many of these musicians did not read music, so they were not big band players in that way, but they did want to recreate the style since it was the popular music of the day. So who was in this group? At this point, it was Harry Palmer on trumpet, and singing. Two fiddles. We heard a two-fiddle lead a couple of times. Buck Buchanan, who played uh, most of the violin solos. Johnny Borowski, who played the harmony violin part, as well as some clarinet we'll hear a little bit later. O.C. Stockard was on banjo. Buster Ferguson was on guitar. George Bell was on piano. And Juana Kaufman was on bass. And then the band did vocals as well. So that was the O.C. Stockard and the Wanderers, recording at the Dallas Athletic Club in Dallas, Texas, September 11th, 1937. And we're going to finish up the program a little bit later with two more tunes from that series as well. So, Milton Brown, as I said, was born in Stephenville, Texas in 1903, born of a musical family. Uh, he started singing very early. He didn't really play any instruments. Um, his brother, Derwood Brown, was a guitar player who played with him for many years, uh, but... Milton started uh, singing in, in different groups and in different locations. He ended up in Fort Worth in about 1930-31, and he made the acquaintance of Bob Wills, who was a country fiddler at the time. And uh, they started performing together with a guitarist named Herman Arnsberger. They started uh, getting some local uh, popularity, lo local celebrity in the Fort Worth area, and they were hired by the Burris Mills, which was an elevator and grain company, uh, to do a broadcast every day. I think it became two broadcasts a day after a certain point. They would record, or not record, but they would broadcast a live show for about 15 minutes, usually at a time when the, the workers were coming in from the fields to have lunch, or sometimes early in the morning before they left for the, for the fields, and so they became quite popular that way. They sold a lot of goods. The mill also sold flour, and they became known as the Light Crust Doughboys, a name which I think still exists for a band that's can trace its lineage all the way back to then in 1931. This group made a, a one recording uh, in 1931 and then didn't do it again because the fellow who was in charge of them at the mill named Lee O'Daniel, who was an interesting character in a lot of ways, uh, he was not, he did not approve of this group uh, performing outside of the mill, for example, going out and doing a Saturday night dance. So they were uh, actually sort of held in poverty. <laughs> they were uh, not allowed to make much money. They were ostensibly employees of the mill and they had a, a practice room where they would spend parts of the day learning new tunes from recordings and from radio broadcasts and so forth and then they'd perform them on these live broadcasts as well. Well Milton Brown got tired of that. Uh, he wanted to make more money. He had uh, designs on putting a bigger band together so he struck out in his own about 1932 uh, and over the course of the next year and a half or so, he put together the band that came to be known as Milton Brown and his Brownies. And this was a, a string group primarily. For the most of the uh, recordings that uh, he made under his own name, uh, he would have one or two violins, uh, usually a banjo, a guitar, a piano, sometimes a uh, steel guitar, a little bit later on, an electric guitar, and a bass. And he would do most of the singing as well. So, we're going to hear uh, a couple of things from his earlier recordings. By uh, April of 1934, uh, he was uh, already well enough known that uh, he had secured a recording contract with RCA Victor for recordings to come out on their cheaper Bluebird label. And uh, we're going to hear really the first one, I think, that they recorded. This is actually a, an instrumental that was composed by Milton Brown. He did not sing on it. It's called Brownie's Stomp. And it's from uh, their recording date of April 4th, 1934, which they did in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, following that, we're going to leap ahead to, April, uh, to August 8th, 1934, also in San Antonio, Texas. And we're going to hear a song called Take It Slow and Easy. Now, this is one that may be familiar to you early jazz fans as something that uh, Billy Banks sang on one of the Rhythmmakers' sides from 1932. And uh, it's very likely that they got this from that recording or one very much like it because they listened to a lot of those early black jazz recordings from the 1930s that were kind of party band things and the Rhythmakers were one of the great uh, versions of that. So we're going to listen to those two, and then we're going to follow up with two others, which I'll tell you about later on, the St. Louis Blues and Copenhagen. Copenhagen. <laughs> 
So that was Copenhagen by Milton Brown and his Brownies. We'll start with the first one that we listened to. We heard first the Brownie Stomp, and that was a uh, apparently an original composition by members of the band, giving credit to Milton Brown on that one, although he didn't really participate. I think he made some uh, vocal interjections, but he wasn't uh, singing on that. There were no, no words to it. It was based on Tiger Rag, which was the vehicle of choice for many of these um, Western swing proto bands and also for many other bands from the mid-1920s on. A lot of uh, jazz standards and, and, and original jazz tunes were based on the form and chord changes of Tiger Rag, and that was one of them too. And of course that, as we said, was from April 4th of 1934 for Bluebird. And that also featured um, well, everybody in the band, really. Cecil Brower was the violinist. There was only one violinist on this uh, session. He was a remarkably uh, proficient violinist. He actually was classically trained, and often these western swing bands from this period featured a hot violinist in the Joe Venuti mold, and they were often very uh, educated musicians, which was not the case with most of the other players in these bands, so presumably they would have been given some of the leadership role, I guess. So we heard uh, Cecil Brower. We also heard... Uh, Derwood Brown, Milton Brown's brother, on guitar. We heard O.C. Stockard on tenor banjo. Uh, he was a fine banjo player, in almost New Orleans-y style. Really kept the, the beat going, uh, as it had to, because there were no drums there. And we have to give credit to Juana Kaufman uh, playing that two-beat slap bass as well, which sometimes he went into four, uh, which was not not terribly usual for the style, but you could always tell the, the increase in, in, in power when that happened. We also heard Fred Papa Calhoun on piano. He was a devotee of Earl Hines, and so uh, Father Hines became Papa Calhoun, and he recorded all of the sides with Milton Brown and uh, many others besides. He was a remarkable piano player uh, by any stretch. He was a good stride player and uh, clearly held, uh, held the rhythm together in a lot of these performances. Then we went on to Take It Slow and Easy, and that uh, tune, as I said, that had been recorded by the Rhythm Makers, kind of a legendary jazz band in 1932 featuring a crazy vocalist named Billy Banks, who sounded an awful lot like Cab Calloway, but arrived at his style probably at the same time. So very flashy vocalist. That band also had Red Allen and Pee Wee Russell, Joe Sullivan, Zooty Singleton, really fine mixed jazz group, mixed race jazz group, and it's not out of the question that Milton Brown had heard that recording. Those were some of the types of recordings that he and Bob Wills had uh, said they were most partial to when they were doing the Light Crust Doughboys uh, gig. So we don't know who wrote that song. It's probably sort of a folk blues type of song, but uh, a very fine performance of this as well, featuring Milton Brown on vocals. We also had three different violin solos. There was actually another violinist, a second violinist, Ted Grantham, who was here. I don't know if he soloed or not, or if that was Cecil Brower all the time. I have no idea. Then we moved ahead to January 27th of 1935. By this time, Milton Brown's band had been pretty well set and had been hired or... Um, contracted to the Decca Recording Company, which was just getting going in 1935, and uh, made most of the rest of the recordings uh, for, actually all of the recordings for the rest of Milton Brown's life were for Decca. This was from a session in Chicago, uh, as I said, in January of 1935, and we heard St. Louis Blues, which is kind of interesting because Brown sang several choruses that had nothing whatsoever to do with W.C. Handy's tune, I don't think, but uh, had a nice uh, bluesy feel to it, featuring another violin solo by Cecil Brower, and also a steel guitar, an electrified guitar solo by uh, Bob Dunn, who was uh, one of the legendary players from this style. He had grown up in Oklahoma, and there's some speculation that he had heard Charlie Christian in the day, although Charlie Christian may have taken some stuff from Bob Dunn as well. Uh, as we said, this was 1935, and Bob Dunn was recording electric guitar solos or electrified guitar solos, sort of in the Charlie Christian style, not, not, not quite. Uh, Christian was certainly more jazz-oriented or blues-oriented, but Bob Dunn was a pretty strong player and a strong contender for being one of the first electric guitarists, and he took a solo on the St. Louis Blues. And then went into double time for a piano solo and a two-vocal or a two-voice vocal with the Brown brothers, Milton Brown and Derwood Brown, singing something a little bit more like the W.C. Handy 
uh, where it's. We ended up with Copenhagen, which had been a jazz tune that was written in 1924 by Charlie Davis, and uh, the recording that put that tune on the map was by the Wolverines, led by Bix Spiderback, one of his early recordings. And clearly this uh, group knew that recording, or at least somehow knew the stock arrangement that came from that recording, because... Um, Cecil Brower and uh, Ozzy Stockard on banjo both began their solos with a quote from uh, the tenor sax uh, solo on the recording by George Johnson, which made its way into the stock arrangement as well. Kind of an interesting point. Had some very fine uh, guitar by Durwood Brown and Papa Calhoun again to the fore and piano there as well. Bob Dunn did not participate in that recording. It was from the same session, uh, but he opted out for some reason on that one. Occasionally, these recording sessions the personnel would shift around within the session depending on what they were recording and we remember that these bands were really hard-working bands playing for a variety of different people down in Texas and on a given night you know, they would be asked to play jazz, blues, folk, waltzes, tangos, Spanish music, all sorts of things so they had to have lots of different uh, repertoire ready and uh, they also wanted to have lots of different recordings of different styles out as well and so different musicians specialized in different tunes. So we're going to hear now uh, four more tunes by Milton Brown and his brownies from this period. We're going to hear actually a feature for Bob Dunn coming up. This is from January of 1935. This is actually the day after the session we just heard St. Louis Blues in Copenhagen. Uh, and this is a tune called Taking Off, which really is a very early, very important feature for electrified guitars. We'll listen to that. Then we're going to hear Milton Brown sing a tune that... Uh, goes back to the early 30s, Stay on the Right Side of the Road, Sister, a kind of a pseudo-gospel tune. Mil Mildred Bailey sang this, and uh, Bing Crosby did as well. And this was from March of 1936, and the band recorded a whole bunch of sides in New Orleans at the time. Then we're going to hear Hesitation Blues from one of their last sessions before Milton Brown passed away. This is from April, April 3rd of 1936, also in New Orleans, and uh, the classic Hesitation Blues. This definitely started as a folk blues. It, uh, people talked about this in different parts of the country and different ways of playing this. I think W.C. Handy did publish a version and is usually given credit, but this is definitely from the common stock of blues. Milton Brown died in a car accident, or as the result of injuries sustained in a car accident, uh, about two weeks after that recording was made, in mid-April of 1936. His brother Derwood took over the, bra uh, the band and uh, kept it going for about a year, and he had one recording session for DECA in Dallas in Jan uh, February excuse me, of 1937, and recorded some interesting tunes, re-recorded some of the tunes that Milton Brown had done. They were called, at this point, Brown's Musical Brownies, to keep the uh, name alive. And we're going to hear one tune from that session, an instrumental uh, called Rose Room by Art Hickman from 1919, a jazz standard already, a big number for Benny Goodman at the time. So, four tunes, Taking Off, Stay on the Right Side of the Road, Hesitation Blues, and Rose Room.
Jamtown, Tennessee. Deacon Amos low down leaves, shouts religion to his driving block. All week long he stays away, but on Sunday that's his day. You ought to see that church begin to rock. Sinners hit that trail when he's lost in the way. Down in right side, sister. Down in right side, sister. Down in right side, arm. He's on that wrong side waiting Down the right side of the road Don't never let that devil take your hand You'll never get to hallelujah, man I see a new day dawning Better heed my warning Down the right side of the Looking for my shoes Looked behind the trunk And found the hesitation blues Lordy, tell me how long Lordy, tell me how long Well, I have to wait Well, I have to wait Can I get you now Can I get you now I have to hesitate Rockin' chair, if the blues overtake me, rock away from here. Lord, tell me how long. Lord, tell me how long. Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must hesitate. I got a woman and a sweetheart too. Woman don't love me, but my sweetheart do. Lord, tell me how long. Lord, tell me how long. Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Well, to hesitate. Talk to little monkey doing the sweet jelly roll. Lord, tell me how long. Well, I have to wait. Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? Going to the river, gonna sit right down. 
the blues overtake me, I'll jump in and drown. Lord, tell me how long. Oh, damn, how long. Well, I have to wait. Well, have to wait. Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must hesitate. So four more tracks by either Milton Brown and his Brownies or by Brown's Musical Brownies. We started with Taking Off, interesting little riffy jazz tune by uh, Bob Dunn, the steel guitarist uh, with this band, and that was his feature, although it had some uh, innings for also um, Fred Calhoun, Papa Calhoun, and Cecil Brower on violin. So interesting little instrumental tune. Shows how the electric guitar was being used in some of these Western swing bands, not called that, but these uh, bands active in the Southwest playing dance music, largely white bands uh, who had been influenced by African-American bands. And we believe that Bob Dunn and Charlie Christian knew each other in Oklahoma in the early to mid-30s, and who knows who influenced whom at that point. Then we went to uh, Stay on the Right Side of the Road, talked about, uh, that was a recording for Bing Crosby and Mildred Bailey in the early 30s, and I had said it was Milton Brown singing. It was, in fact, Durwood Brown singing. He didn't have many solo vocals. He sang harmony vocals, but when he did solo, he was uh, an interesting singer. He was much more jazzy than most in that style. Uh, on a couple of his recording dates coming up, he did some very credible Fats Waller-type vocals, and uh, that was a good swingy vocal on Stay on the Right Side as well. That featured... Um, 
all of the uh, Musketeers as well. We had uh, Durwood singing, another violin solo, an electric guitar solo, and a piano solo. The violin in this case, I believe, was Cecil Brower, but this was uh, during a recording session uh, in New Orleans in March of 1936 when Milton Brown had added a second violin. So he had the twin fiddle lead, which had become uh, an important part of the style and became a, a significant uh, uh, part of the Western swing style as things went on. And the second violinist was Cliff Bruner, who uh, lived a very long life and uh, recorded with a lot of bands and uh, became very well known as a uh, Western swing violinist. He may be heard on this next tune, the uh, Hesitation Blues. There are two different violin solos. They sound very different in style. The first one, I think, is consistent with Cecil Brower. And then um, Cliff Bruner was probably the second one. They, they were uh, interrupted by a, a piano solo and electric guitar solo as well. So you can see these Western Swing recordings were very jazzy in the sense that they featured all of the uh, soloists quite a lot on these different recordings. And these were improvised solos. These were not written out, certainly. They, most of these musicians didn't read very well, probably. But um, they, as I said, thought of themselves as jazz musicians. And there are lots of accounts of Bob Wills particularly. Bob Wills was not a jazz player himself. He was a fiddler uh, doing country uh, tunes, breakdowns, square dances, things like that. But he appreciated the jazzy players in his band. And he would point to them, you know, randomly on tunes and sometimes solos would get extended solos on tunes on jobs or uh, might solo on everything or solo twice, whatever Bob Wills felt like. And that was kind of common uh, at the time in the in style. And we can see that from these recordings of Milton Brown as well. Well, as I said, Milton Brown uh, died as a result of injuries sustained in a car accident a couple of weeks after that Hesitation Blues recording in April of 1936. And um, that uh, really ended the band. He was the, the, the focal point of that band, and he was a, a very fine businessman and uh, frontman and leader and all that. Uh, Durwood Brown took it over. He was not a particularly outstanding leader, and he had a drinking problem and... Uh, Things stumbled on for about a year, and they did the one recording session for Decca in February of 1937 in Dallas that produced a bunch of tunes, including Rose Room, which we just heard. A uh, very standard jazz performance, good solos all around. Again, uh, Papa Calhoun on piano. We had Buck Buchanan on violin. Johnny Borowski was a second violin player. We didn't uh, hear him on that one, but uh, not soloing anyway. And then Juana Kaufman, of course. And... Um, uh, uh, Durwood Brown on guitar as well. And O.C. Stockard was playing banjo. Now, the ele uh, electric guitar, the steel guitar player on there was not Bob Dunn. He had left Milton Brown's band after Milton died, and his place was taken by a young man who had studied his playing, Wilson Lefty Perkins, and he did a very uh, good Bob Dunn imitation with his own overtones there as well. So that was Rose Room. So we're going to go on to two more tunes. That's about all we have time for, I guess. And we're going to finish the way we started with O.C. Stockard and the Wanderers, uh, featuring the um, very interesting trumpet of Harry Palmer. And uh, as I said, these came from uh, September of 1937. After Durwood Brown kind of failed in his leadership attempts, the band broke up, uh, I think, in the late spring, early summer of, of uh, 1937. Papa Calhoun, I think, went with uh, Cliff Bruner's band. He started another band. And then O.C. Stockard took up the reins and took uh, what was left of the um, Milton Brown band and, and booked it under his own name for a while. And as I said, made this one recording session uh, for RCA Victor, their Bluebird label. Kind of a nice way to finish. We finish up with the way uh, Milton Brown started two years earlier, three years earlier, actually. We're going to hear O.C. Stockard on banjo and singing, George Bell on piano, Johnny Borowski on fiddle, and clarinet on one of these tunes. Buck Buchanan plays the fiddle solos, Juana Kaufman on bass, Buster Ferguson on guitar, and, of course, Harry Palmer on trumpet. And we're going to hear two tunes. One is called What's the Matter with the Mill? And this was a tune that Junie Cobb, the African-American uh, multi-instrumentalist, I think he was playing tenor sax on that recording, he recorded that in Chicago in the late 1920s. And again, I think these were recordings that... Um, Milton Brown and some of those early Western swing musicians were very attached to, because you can hear a lot of the repertoire from that those series of recordings, Junie Cobb and the Washboard Rhythm Kings and the Rhythm Makers and um, oh, a lot of other groups uh, from that period who were recording what came to be known as party music, I guess. And uh, I think that has a big influence on this style as well. So what's the matter with the mill? 
And then we're going to finish up with a standard tune by Higgins and Benton Overstreet called There'll Be Some Changes Made, uh, featuring, as does the first one, Harry Palmer. And this one uh, starts out with a little introduction, as the uh, first tune that we listened to did, that was cribbed from the Jovenuti and Eddie Lang recording series from the middle to late 1920s. Um, on Long, Long Ago, where we started, they took the introduction from Doing Things. This one, they took the introduction from Kicking the Cat. And uh, it might sound familiar if you know the, that style, and it goes right into the be some changes made. So let's hear those two tunes, and then we will come back and wrap up. So, what's the matter with the mill? And there'll be some changes made. What's the matter with me? What's the matter with me? Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with me? Now I got a gal, little and low. She used to let me shake it, but she won't no more. What's the matter with the mill? It's done broke down. What's the matter with the mill? It's done broke down. Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the mill. See my gal, she wouldn't let me in. She said she had company in, it'd have to come again. What's the matter with the mill? What's the matter with the mill? Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the mill? About 96, uh -huh. just got back from getting it fixed. What's the matter with the mill? What's the matter with the mill? What's the matter with the mill? Now, yonder comes a gal all dressed in blue. Can't get five, well, she'll take two. What's the matter with the mill? It's done broke down. What's the matter with the mill? What's the done broke down. Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the mill. I've got a gal, low and squatty. Uh -huh. She fooled around with everybody. What's the matter with the mill? What's the matter with the mill? What's the matter with the mill? Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with the mill. Now, all you women, give me a try. I'm like a Chesterfield, I satisfy what's the matter with mill? What's done broke down? What's the matter with mill? What's done broke down? Can't get no grinding. Tell me what's the matter with mill.
Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this program of Western swing and jazz. Certainly these musicians were jazz musicians. They may have been looking a little bit back uh, in time to their jazz influences uh, 10, 15 years before the time period where they recorded, but still some very compelling music. And Milton Brown was a, an excellent band leader, and had he not died at such a young age, he probably would have been much better known. And who knows where he would have taken the music at that point. So... Thank you very much for joining us. My name is John Clark. This is the Jazz Focus, and we are broadcasting on WETF, South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station. Hope you come and visit us again sometime. Take a look for my podcast, The Jazz Focus, which is out there on Anchor and Spotify and different places. And uh, next week, we'll be back with a different program. Not sure what we're going to be doing, but it will be something interesting, I hope. So thank you again. My name is John Clark, and you've been listening to The Jazz Focus.